Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Welcome to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. Well, today I have the privilege of introducing the new Executive Director of the Hope Alliance, Kim Wolf. And I brought Kim on to the show today, and, and here's the key question I want to ask her. It's this, becoming the new boss, how can you have a healthy and effective transition when you become the new ED or CEO to an organization that has already been in existence? Kim came on to her new role in June, and so she is still in that transition mode, if you will, of becoming the new ED. And so she shares her insights as to how to make an effective transition. And along the way, as I, one of the questions I asked her was, what are the top three roles that an ED serves in a nonprofit organization? And one of the things that was very intriguing is about how she described the importance of recruiting, training, and retaining staff. And so I'm going to go into that, and you'll be really intrigued by how she answers that of how do you recruit, how do you train, and how do you retain good staff so that your nonprofit organization continues to move forward. I think you're going to really enjoy today's show. Today in the studio is Kim Wolf, a local parkite. Uh, that's someone from Park City, for those who are outside of Park City. And uh, Kim is the executive director of the Hope Alliance, a great nonprofit right here in Park City. Kim, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know um, you are new, and and I can relate to what you're going through a little bit because uh, six years ago I came brand new to this role, and uh, we had a wonderful ED, uh, Tim Darlene, that preceded me. Um, and you're kind of going through the same thing at Hope Alliance. And, and so I want to, really want to focus our attention today on this question of becoming the new boss. Uh, how you and I as EDs, uh, CEOs, um, how can you have a healthy and effective transition when you become the new ED or CEO to an organization that has already been in existence? There's a lot of transition. I mean, not just here, obviously in Park City, but like, I mean, across the board in nonprofits, there's always somebody transitioning in and out of this key role. You've been there how long? Um, I started in June, so okay. just just past my 90 days. And remind me, were you already in the organization in a different role, or did you come straight to this role as ED? I came straight to this role from the outside. That's what I thought. You were living in Chicago, if I remember right. Um, well, I was here in Utah, okay. um, but mm -hmm. running a, a nonprofit in Salt Lake City. Oh, got it. Okay, mm -hmm. so somewhat local in terms of Utah. Anyway. Correct, yes. Okay. Um, well, good. Well, uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved serving and leading with the nonprofit sector to begin with. Um, well, I was born in Vietnam 
and um, my family came to the United States um, right after the Vietnam War, and um, we came to a small t rural town of 4,000 people in central Illinois where my stepfather was raised, and so I kind of grew up a country girl, um, and so small town values, um, small, time, small town life, um, not so different from Park City in terms of like the camaraderie and the main street, you know, um, lifestyle. And, you know, the bright lights of the big city drew me. So I went to college in Chicago, and that's where I spent a majority of my um, adult life there. And you are a Cubs fan, I understand. I am very much that's a Cubs really fan. That's really important at this time <laughs> of the year. Okay, good. Very Just much get so. Get that out there. All right. Yes. And um, I actually was a business student. Is that right? Um, okay. I do not... Thinking about this podcast, I really don't recall much volunteerism in my background or much experience with nonprofits in general. So um, I graduated um, with my undergraduate degree in marketing, um, which uh, started in finance, but I realized I'm not good at finance. So marketing was uh, my next my next. Um, choice. And um, it was just a decision between going to finish my graduate degree now or waiting. And um, while I was trying to make that decision, I thought I wanted to do something different. And I answered an ad for a crisis counselor at a domestic violence shelter. The starting salary was less than what my tuition was um, each year of college. It was a you're definitely, weighing out the cost-benefit analysis here. <laughs> it was um, not, it was, a, it was definitely a tough sell to the parents. Um, and the organization was in probably one of the roughest neighborhoods in Chicago at the time. To this day, I, my parents still don't quite know where I was working. I think that's, that's for our benefit. Secret, huh? <laughs> um, but, that's you know, great. I, it was something that was so different for me. My first taste of nonprofit um, the nonprofit world and, you know, client-based services. And I, it was probably three, four years later that I kind of thought, well, wh wasn't there a decision to be made? And here I still am. And 20 plus years later, I'm still in the nonprofit world. Wow. So that's when it started and you've never looked back. In a sense. I have, I've, I've looked back I've threatened to leave. I've promised myself to leave. But like I said, here I am still. Um, and in terms of nonprofit leadership, um, that was clearly not the plan. Um, but I think after 20 some years, you are one of the few people still standing. And I think they make you a leader. That's great. Yeah, if you just stay around long enough, you're going to become a leader. Absolutely, yes. Well, I share that. You know, I've been in, in the nonprofit world for over 20 years, and I'm with you. I just think it's, uh, for me, it's it's exactly where I'm supposed to be, and it's a great fit. So it's fun to hear and see someone else who's doing the same. Well, let's talk about a little bit more uh, nuts and bolts, if you will, about uh, what you do as a leader in a nonprofit world. You know, we've talked about on the show before, again, uh, what it means to have an effective team uh, that understands that the mission has to work together effectively with a team, and the ED has a very critical role. So have you, now you're coming into a new role as ED at the Hope Alliance here in Park City. Um, how have you sought to build continuity within the mission while bringing your unique perspective to the organization? Um, one of the terms that I love from Jim Collins is he talks about, when, when, particularly when you're going through change, um, that the goal of an ED or CEO needs to be this, to preserve the core but to stimulate progress. And the idea behind that in the context is that there's certain values that are good, the core of the organization, as long as it's good, you know, you want to keep that, but you're always looking to the future. You're always trying to stimulate progress to move forward in an organization so it doesn't remain stagnant. So for you, how did you do that with Hope Alliance? How did you kind of carry that balance as the new ED? 
Well, I'm glad that you did make reference to um, an effective team. I have been blessed at several points in my nonprofit career of just inheriting a group, just a group of superstars. And through no effort of my own, um, you know, basically, my charge was don't screw it up. And, you know, you know, and this has been no different with the Hope Alliance, I've inherited, you know, a stellar group of people, passionate, commit, committed to the cause, a true understanding of the mission. Um, and so I'm a, I'm a former program person. So I think my, my bias always is, you know, leans toward the programmatic side. And for any person, you know, whether you're the ED, whether you're the new receptionist, whether you're a new board member, you can't understand the mission of an organization without understanding the programs. So um, that's where I started. And when you talk about continuity, you have to truly understand, you know, the, the, the programs and how you deliver the services to your constituents. And talk about that. You know, how have you come about to make decisions, maybe changes, while at the same time have kept the organization moving forward? Because you talk about programs. You're right. There's, you know, you have to make the decision. Do we keep the same programs going? Do we change direction? Do we add new programs? Do we get rid of some programs, which is probably the most difficult? Talk about that. How have you made decisions based on the programs and your background as a program director? Well, you know, as a new executive director, um, I always, I always have to remind myself, you know, you are no longer on the campaign trail. Um, you've got the job. Congratulations. Um, and so now it's time for you to stop talking. And so most of my early um, months, weeks, you know, at the organization is just to listen, um, listen to constituents at all different levels, um, you know, volunteers, staff, board members, donors, and really kind of find out what their connection with the organization is. Um, you know, and that's really kind of helped me, um, you know, understand the mission a bit better. Um, it's also, you know, I'm also one of those constituents. And, you know, I also had to kind of, you know, ask myself, what is this mission? If I don't get it, other people aren't going to get it. So people also had to kind of tell me what the mission was. And, you know, and I asked my questions, you know, as if, you know, wearing several hats, potential donor, potential volunteer, um, you know, new job applicant. And if the mission wasn't resonating with me, you know, what, what's that disconnect? So, you know, once you kind of suss out, you know, those types of kernels of those aha statements and perspectives, I think that's when you can kind of find out really what is the core um, and what do you want to keep, what's getting in the way of of, you know, that mission and that core coming across to various audiences and then start from there. There's no doubt that an ED wears several hats in a nonprofit organization. And so you're right, when it comes to all those different decision-making opportunities, you have to wear a lot of hats and you have to, but I like the focus on listening. Because um, that's one thing I was going to ask next was, in your opinion, what are the top three most important roles of an ED or CEO of a nonprofit? Is listening one of those top three? Um, you know, I think listening is just, it needs to be who you are as an employer, um, as a nonprofit steward. It just has to be something that's just in the background because you have you have no idea where your next, you know, big idea is going to come from. And especially in such a... Um, experienced nonprofit community like Park City, you know, listening is even more essential because it could come from, you know, the new hire at another organization. It could come from one of your collaborators. It could come from someone who you've, you know, not treated well, you know, as a donor or as a volunteer. And so, you know, this listening aspect of it has to be on 100% um, all the time. So I, I wouldn't 
categorize that as a priority because I think that's just a a standard operating procedure. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me, possibly the top three important um, roles or duties is to know your mission, know your donors and know your staff Mm, Um, mission. I've kind of touched on. Um, It's, it's, it's where you're going. It's why you exist. Your donors, you know, obviously that's your, you know, those are your funders. Those are the people that um, should probably have uh, the closest connection with your mission because they're giving dollars where, you know, like in Park City, there's no shortage of great and worthy causes that are doing fantastic work. But also, you know, it's not just enough to, to know those two things. Your staff is going to be how you're going to get to where you need to go. So your staff, especially as a new executive director, those are the people that are going to carry you while you're figuring out your email or the the new calendar or, you know, you're leaning heavily you know, into them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And yep. they, and they're the ones that are going to need to carry you and give you the information that you need to know and help you prioritize that. Excellent. And when you were thinking about building, you know, your programs and building good off of good decisions, um, and then you start getting to the point where you're making some success, or maybe you're not heading in the right direction. In your opinion, what are the right metrics for measuring the success of a nonprofit? Well, I've already alluded to how many years I've been in the nonprofit game, and um, I can tell you I've seen the pendulum in terms of metrics and, and measurement and, and what donors want to see. It's, it's swung back and forth so many, so many times. Um, for me, um, even though it, it's, it's difficult sometimes to, to really grasp, I like to focus on impact. Um, now, you know, I'll, I'll use an analogy, you know, the, the impact of, you know, a, a new eating plan. Um, yes, you know, you want to monitor, you know, the, the good food that comes in, the exercise that you're doing, but ultimately you're, you're looking for something, you know, weight loss, muscle, you know, um, you know, toning, that sort of thing. So, you know, the healthy living plan isn't just, you know, the the diet that you're on, you're really ultimately wanting to see the impact. And I think that's what your donors, you know, and your constituents and even your staff, they want to see the impact. Yeah, measurable impact. Sounds measurable like impact. Mm-hmm. But then also, I think the pendulum has also gone so far in that direction that if you can't count it, it doesn't exist. Um, kind of like, about that, kind yeah. of like social worker case notes. Well, you didn't do it unless you documented it. Um, and, and we know mm-hmm. being in the, in the nonprofit game, there are those anecdotal stories that, you know, Yes, you could. I can tell you the widgets that went into, you know, um, this particular vision clinic or food pantry, the pounds of food that were moved, you know, through the pantry that month. But donors also need and deserve to hear the anecdotal stories about how your efforts touch a particular person. Um, you know, what did they do with this food? Um, you know, what were they able to do that they weren't able to do the, the month prior? Does this mean that, you know, their child had two healthy meals as opposed to relying on a school lunch. So those anecdotal stories um, are are wonderful. And, th- and those are stories that don't just need to go into your annual appeal. They need to right. be a regular part of how you tell your story. So sounds good. So if I'm hearing you right, you, you have this idea of kind of combining. There's metrics are important. You've got to measure the results. But what you're saying is you add kind of the context around it. Like what's the story behind those metrics? So it's not just a bunch of numbers and a lot of data points. Mm-hmm. It's like talk 
talk about the person. What is going on in their life now because of your nonprofit? Am I hearing you right? Yes. And, you know, numbers, of course, you know, help substantiate what you're doing. But, you know, you can't be a nonprofit without talking about the heart of the organization and the heart of your clients and the people that you serve. And I think those anecdotal stories um, are more than just, you know, for staff or, you know, those those moments where you just felt like, wow, we really did something. Those are things that need to be shared just as much as, you know, the pounds of food that you move through your through your store that month excellent now uh, pretend that you're coming into a, another nonprofit not the current one you're in but you say you're coming to a nonprofit and you're the new ed and it's struggling and it's not having a lot of measurable results there's the metrics they're trying to use are to measure the impact of their nonprofit but the sad thing is there's just not a lot of measurable impact yet there may be some anecdotal stories but what would you go in how would you help a struggling nonprofit get to that place where they can start having some measurable impact and really begin to show donors uh, let alone you know the board members here's what we're doing and we're making slow progress but we are making progress how would you go about implementing some of that I have found um, either through organizations I've um, worked for or consulted with or done um, strategic planning with that when an organization struggles usually it's always something related to their mission or mission creep, or, you know, over the years, maybe they've evolved because their constituency has evolved, but they haven't gone back and and said, is this still the right mission statement for us? So there's always that disconnect. And I think that disconnect, um, you know, comes up when you're unclear in your programming, you're unclear who you serve, how you serve them, and you're unclear what to tell the donors, you know, in terms of, you know, what you're actually doing. And it doesn't mean that you're not doing good work. It doesn't mean you're not being ethical. It doesn't mean that you're not good stewards of the dollars you receive. But that struggle, a lot of times for me, is mirrored in that lack of clarification, that uncertainty. So you think the root of it really is an unclear mission? It really is. Or, you know, and it could be the fault of the mission. It could be the fault of where you're headed. And I, I, I say fault, but I think that's maybe a little bit harsh uh, because, you know, organizations do evolve. You know, communities do, you know, change. And, you know, I worked for an organization um, that was when it at its inception was serving the Korean American community in Chicago. Well, you know, 30 years later, that community had migrated to the suburbs and, you know, it it really wasn't their their clientele anymore. So there was a disconnect between yeah. you know the people that you know were aligned with the name and the history, but then it wasn't reflective in what they were doing. Right. So it doesn't mean you throw out everything. It just means you take a look at what you do and you clarify um, and 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 go back to basics. I think everything, especially you know in the nonprofit world, or you know I'd mentioned that you know I. Um, I'm an equestrian. So whenever there's a struggle or a disconnect, I go all the way back to basics. Or if you um, if you've played basketball, you know, a lot of the old school coaches will, will go back to ball handling skills. You do your drills, you do your drills. Um, and I think that's what nonprofits need to do as well. Intro, I like the basketball analogy. I'm a basketball fan. So that's great. Okay, so building off of that, um, what are the biggest barriers uh, most nonprofits experience that prevent them from getting to that place and maybe you've kind of um, related a little bit of them already but you know every nonprofit wants to be impactful right every ed wants to be the most impactful ed they can be so the nonprofit flourishes and and meets that social need whatever they're addressing so what are those barriers that you've run across you feel like are regular barriers that most nonprofits face a regular barrier boy um for me um that always has been 
um, attracting and retaining good staff. Um, because you can have the right mission, you can have, you know, be situated in the right, you know, location, 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 you have the, the clients that are coming, but you can't deliver programs without staff. And if your if the bulk of your leadership and management time is spent hiring new people, getting them trained only to have them walk out the door a year later, you know, two years later, um, you know, that's going to eat up a lot of time. And every time you have to, um, you know, retrain or, you know, train a, a new person, um, you know, that puts a little bit of a hiccup in your programming. I don't know of any organization that has all the money and all the staff that they need to do the work that they are charged with. So, you know, all that eats into, you know, what you are trying to do programmatically. And and for me, um, especially in leadership positions, that has always been the most difficult barrier. Very interesting. So again, recruiting, uh, training and ma- and really retaining good staff is critical in your mind. So how do nonprofits do that? Like what are the steps they can take to really make sure they train well, they recruit well on the front end, they train well, and then they retain them? Well, you know, especially for the nonprofit sector, um, a lot of the hiring I think has really has to come from your gut. Um, you know, I, when I first came into the nonprofit realm, I don't think there would have been one person that would have put their money on me just to, to, to stay here, to last. Um, you know, I've seen the people go, the, the, the new so- social workers come in and, you know, they're wide-eyed, they think they're going to change the world. And boy, the first time they have their wallet stolen, they're gone. Um, and so you really have to it's more than just who you are on paper, what your resume says. You really have to have a balance between the reality and the lofty dreams of actually serving mankind. And so a lot of that really does come from, you know, a gut. And maybe because it's, yeah, I've been here for 20 plus years, but, you know, I can, I can see something most of the time um, in people that I think, you know what, this person is going to finish off my team. Um, and this is the linchpin we're looking for. And it has really nothing to do with, you know, necessarily what's on the paper or the degree, but this is the personality we're missing. And I think part of hiring is not screwing up what's already working. And so um, part of that is the, you know, the attracting the right people. And if you in- truly enjoy the people that you work with and they all work cohesively, that goes a long way. Um, but then also for me, um, you know, I... Work-life balance is, is huge for me. Um, I did not leave Chicago to be putting in 60-hour workdays um, and being at the office. And, um, you know, so my work-life balance is, is precious to me. Um, I don't have children, but for my staff that do have children, you know, they have different priorities. Um, I'm a firm believer in thinking outside the box. That sounds like a cliche, but, um, you know, whatever, you know, whatever, you know, buzzword you want to use now um, is that, you know, the job has to resonate with people and it's not going to resonate the same way. So that's part of my retention is to finding out why someone is here. Maybe it is the mission. Maybe it is, you know, the big fat paycheck they get, you know, uh, maybe it's an easy commute. Maybe it's that balance. But, you know, 
everyone has a choice of where to work and you need to find out why the people are working for you and your organization. And you bring up a good point. And we've had some folks on the show before and they've talked about the change with millennials and, and perhaps more. I think there's a good argument to be made that, um, say, Gen Xers is the old term, you know, for our generation and then millennials, the, the generation coming up. Um, there is much more of an emphasis with millennials to have that work-life balance where they really, really want their time to play in the mountains here in Utah anyway, you know, play in the mountains, go skiing, and they don't necessarily want to put those 60 hours in, like you said. So how, this is, I think, the challenge a lot of us face. How do you have a really effective nonprofit that moves forward and really, you know, pushes forward, which takes a lot of effort and a lot of time, but at the same time, give them that work-life balance where they can have fun and they can go skiing and, and still make sure they have a full life. How do you strike that balance? Because I, I think uh, a lot of EDs like myself struggle with that to be able to do both well. Well, for me, it's, it's being realistic. Um, I don't want your 60 hours. If, if you're giving me 60 hours, then there's something wrong. Um, and, I, and I'll be the first one to acknowledge that. Um, I want you to give me your best time. And maybe it's going to be 30 hours one week. Maybe it's going to be 50 hours another week. But, you know, I, my staff, I depend on them to tell me how their week is going to go. Um, I, I've had supervisors where it did not matter what your impact was back to those measurable outcomes. As long as you were at your desk between 830 and five, that was a success. And, you know, we've all been there. We've, we've, I'll be the first to admit it. I won't speak for you, but we've taken vacation days at our desk. You know, we said, you know what? I'm, I'm checked out. I'm here, but I'm checked out. And so I want my staff that when they are there at work, they are giving me 100% because I'm not going to require them to go beyond that 100%. And, you know, and some employers, they, they just don't get that. Um, but, you know, I found that if I show people that they have a right to their life, yes, the mission will be there and the clients will be there and we have not alleviated poverty this week, so we're going to be back here next week. Um, but if I make sure that their personal time, their pursuits are just as important as what we need to do to serve others, then that that helps me, um, you know, convince them that, you know what, their time here at work, that's valuable. And I'm going to give it my all. But when I'm off, I'm off. And I am going to pursue my family time, my my recreational time guilt free. And so that makes happier employees. And it sounds silly, but happier employees means, you know, happier clients. Um, you know, you want that big smile. You want people eager to do that vision clinic. It doesn't want to be a burden. And it's not if you have people that are truly um, happy to be at work. Excellent. So, you know, go into the leadership culture a bit because you're, you're already touching into that. Um, in your opinion, with you've been in a lot of different nonprofits. Do you think that most nonprofits need a uh, major overhaul of their leadership culture or, or is it shifting enough now because of millennials that we need to change things or do you find there just needs to be a few tweaks here and there to improve the leadership culture of most nonprofits give me some examples if you have some you know I just because you know I believe go big or go home I say yes needs to be a major overhaul um, I think the nonprofit sector needs to keep up with the HR policies um, of some of the other um, you know, other organizations that are out there. Uh, and I would compare that with other nonprofits as well as other for-profits, um, startup companies, um, brick and mortar companies, internet-based companies. We can't just rely on our nonprofit bubble and think we never have to compete with any of those people. Well, this, 
I'll tell you, those are the people that are stealing your quality employees. Hmm. And so if you want to keep and compete with those other opportunities, um, you know, you need to, you need to kind of level the playing field. Now in the nonprofit sector, I don't want to say never, but more than likely your salary is not going to keep up, you know, with other organizations. Now you have advantages that other organizations don't. You have that mission. You have that passion. Now you just need to kind of um, enhance that. Um, I will be the first one to tell you that, you know, old school organizations think that the mission is enough. It should be a privilege. I'm going to pay you, you know, minimum wage. I'm going to pay you, which basically just says legally, I can't pay you any less uh, and act like, you know, it should be a privilege to work for my organization. Well, you know, every nonprofit uses volunteers in one way or another. You don't have to make this your job. You can go get, you know, a steady nine to five, decent benefits, great salary and volunteer your time. What makes people want to actually work for you, make a career in the nonprofit and a career with you? You know, there's other nonprofits as well. So I think having to think outside the box, um, you know, for me, you know, I've mentioned, you know, personal time, PTO time. It does not look the same for everyone. And to have a one shop, you know, a one stop shop for all of your benefits, all of your time off, um, you know, it's not going to work because people travel, people have children, people, you know, have more wintertime pursuits. People want to have two, three weeks off at a time. Um, you know, I prefer just because of my lifestyle, big chunks of time doesn't really work for me to, to go away. So, you know, having these big blocks of time, that doesn't really resonate with me. So, you know, really finding out, and this goes back to knowing your staff, um, you know, knowing what motivates them, knowing why they stay, and knowing why it is that your particular cause resonates with them as opposed to someone else. Now, you're not going to keep everyone. And, you know, my personal management philosophy is I want to grow every single staff person I have, I want to grow them out of their position. Hopefully, by the time the growth starts and they're ready for something new, I have something for them. But I have grown many a staff person right out of my organization. And, you know, that is really the only way I think that you as an organization and as a leader, you can ethically do right by your employees, not hold them back because, you know, you want the brightest minds, you want the biggest ones. Um, and nonprofit, a lot of times you are experiencing people that are starting out in their career. Um, but seeing that talent, harnessing it, and, you know, engaging their curiosity. You know, the only reason I got to, to write grants was I said, I'd like to try. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it wasn't because I, you know, was going to be, you know, some big grant writer or developer, but I thought, hmm, you know, I've spent four years in college writing reports. And so, um, you know, hey, answer these questions. That's what it was. And so I would have never gotten that opportunity um, as quickly as I did, had I not been given that in, in the nonprofit sector. So, you know, bright people, talented people are naturally curious people and engage their curiosity and make sure that they're given every opportunity at your organization um, to grow. And don't be frightened of that growth because while they're growing, they're going to give you their, their 100% and they're going to stay as long as they're going to stay. Um, and that's perfectly fine. And hopefully they will be in a position, maybe at a foundation and they're going to circle back and, and give you that fat grant because they know what an awesome organization you have. Uh, thanks so much for sharing your great insights, Kim. My guest again, Kim Wolf, Executive Director of the Hope Alliance. So fun to hear your thoughts and you've been doing this again for many years and I can tell it comes out in your um, answers and just how you approach nonprofit leadership. So if people want to find out more about you and the Hope Alliance, where do they go? 
Um, you can go to our website, thehopealliance.org. We're based in Park City, but um, you can join any one of our expeditions from anywhere in the world. Um, and so, you know, please don't hesitate if you're listening from, you know, outside of Utah. Um, and so, you know, check us out. And if you like like what you hear and you want to be with um, us on one of our global or local expeditions, um, you know, just inquire. We'll be happy to have you. Thanks again for being on the show. Really appreciate having you here. Thank you so much. You bet. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.